Hello, Fear the Fro listeners. Thank you for joining me. A good night to be part of the Fro faithful. 24 points, 11 rebounds. Now, you may say to yourself, Bob, that sounds very familiar. And yes, it is, because just two games ago, before he went down with the back injury, Jared Allen scored his season high. 24 points, 13 rebounds, 10 for 12 from the floor. That game, perhaps slightly better than this one, but if you look at the nuances, the fact that Jared Allen started 7-for-7 in the first quarter, 14 points, a quarter in which he absolutely dominated the Lakers' front court, and then shortly after Anthony Davis checked out, (coughs) I feel sick. I need to go to the locker room. Anthony Davis walks off the court, never to return. Now, some may say that he was battling flu-like conditions even before the game, and he gave it a go and simply could not complete the game. Perhaps that is what actually happened. But I like to think that he witnessed the majestic fro in action and saw the writing on the wall. I cede front court dominance to Cleveland Cavalier All-Star Center and all-around great guy, Jared Allen, supported by a great backcourt, perhaps the best in Cavaliers history, I saw suggested by Mac Perry tonight, and I thought, "Mm mm-hmm, I nodded silently while looking at my Twitter. The Cavaliers entering this game 10-1 at home would extend that winning streak to 11-1 at home as they defeated the rocking the baby prematurely Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James for the second game this season, 116-102. Celebrate. Cavalier faithful, this is the Fear the Fro podcast. Oh, with two hands. That'll bring the house down. Three on the way. Good. Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome into a podcast after a victory, the best kind of podcast. Now, let's begin where I probably should have when I started the game. I am a fro lover, as we all know, hence the name of the podcast. But the fact that I buried the lead in the cold open is not lost on me. I'm sorry, I've started to take Donovan Mitchell's complete dominance for granted. I've started to take the fact that he can just take over a game and turn the fortunes of this team on its head instantly for granted. What is wrong with me? It's barely been a quarter of a season and already I'm like, ho-hum, 21-6 run in the fourth quarter, no bigs. 17 points in the final nine minutes for Mitchell. Child's play. The NBA's seventh leading scorer finished the game with 43 points, six rebounds, five assists, four steals, and humiliated Russell Westbrook from the moment he rocked that stupid premature baby. That baby was so premature that you could abort it, even in red states at this point. You didn't even take the lead on your layup. Look at me, everyone. I need attention. That's a ballsy move by the former MVP because he did it without his safety blanket, Anthony Davis. Your move to the bench has been a good thing for you and for the team, but it's not your move to the bench that has turned around the fortunes of this Lakers squad. It is Anthony Davis, and it is the incredible heater all of your shooters have gotten on. Guess what disappeared tonight? 
Anthony Davis, and the incredible shooting your team has provided prior to this game. You're a delightful sixth man making $47 million. And tip of the cap, the Lakers' bench scored much more than the Cavaliers' bench tonight. But don't buy all your own headlines just yet, Russell. Because your decision-making and your ability to close are still virtually non-existent. Hell, even in the game where you defeated the Milwaukee Bucks, you managed to miss two consecutive free throws, which very well could have lost you the game. Fortunately, Drew Holiday missed. So you escaped. And nobody got on you too bad that game. The poor children didn't have to hear anybody say Westbrook. Well, maybe a few people on Twitter who posted it immediately after you missed the free throws. But in general, you escaped criticism for that game. I won't forget tonight. You're definitely not escaping criticism on the Fear the Fro podcast because emotionally, I'd like to think that Donovan Mitchell and the Cavaliers reacted similarly to how I did when I saw you rock the baby when you simply tied the game up. I shuddered and I prayed that if God gave me anything tonight, he'd give me a 21 to 6 run that absolutely humiliated the Lakers. And that's what he did. Praise Jesus. Was it God's will? That Donovan Mitchell hit a three in your face while you woefully tried to contest his shot? Perhaps. Why are you poking the bear? Why are you taunting the Cavaliers on a play where you got a goddamn layup? That was it. And after that, nothing. So take that L, get on the plane, maybe put it in the seat next to you, maybe the one between you and LeBron, and you can commiserate about why LeBron has now lost his last two games against the Cavaliers in a homecoming I bet he desperately wanted to win. But no, that didn't happen. I hold you accountable, Russ. Tied up at that point, 92-90, shortly thereafter. But then the old skunkaroo. Russell Westbrook did not record another basket. Moving forward, they went on a 21-6 run. Effectively slamming the door on the Lakers, who, it should be pointed out, were playing shorthanded. Without their player, who has been the most dominant player perhaps in the league for the last... 10 games. Over his last nine games, he sat one out with injury. Anthony Davis came in on an absolute heater, averaging 35 points a game, 16 rebounds per game, three blocks per game, 2.9. Shooting 65-46-88 splits. The best basketball he has played since, well, the New Orleans days in his most dominant era. And over the course of the season, eighth in scoring across the NBA coming into tonight, just shy of 29 points a game. First in rebounds, just shy of 13 rebounds a game. His true shooting percentage, his field goal percentage, his player efficiency rating, all career highs. Points, career highs. Rebounds, career highs. Third in the league in blocks. Just an incredible season which has seen him vault up the MVP favorite ladder, according to basketballreference.com. In fact, he sits ahead of Donovan Mitchell, despite being on a losing team. He's fifth. He's ahead of Devin Booker. He's ahead of Steph Curry, Mitchell, Durant, all of them. They have Spida in eighth right now. Now, certainly, that will probably look different by the time that you're listening to this podcast in the morning, because anybody who watched this game, and certainly a lot of people did, since it was on a Tuesday night in TNT, a game during which Shaquille O'Neal got shoved into a Christmas tree and then dove into it later. One of the best halftimes I've seen on the TNT Halftime Show. I love Charles Barkley, and I love Shaquille O'Neal, and I love Kenny, and I love Ernie. I love the whole show. Mostly Charles, though. But anyway, I digress. The point is, Donovan Mitchell showed out. 
And I'm sure the 2.1% probability that basketball reference gives Donovan Mitchell of winning the MVP will be at least a percent higher after tonight's game. So check it in the morning. If it is 3.1% or higher, uh, I will be taking a victory lap on an airplane. I am traveling to Los Angeles tomorrow. I'll be going straight to Crypto.com, where I will plant the Cavaliers flag right in front of the ugly Magic Johnson statue that doesn't look like magic. I'm not saying magic's ugly. The statue's an abomination. But I digress. This is one of those nights. Here's what I will say. I feel bad for Anthony Davis in the sense that he now scored one point in eight minutes, but it counts as a game. It's a blight on averages. If you care about numbers, if you care about using those to help support your arguments, certainly a game in which you appeared but essentially didn't appear does not go to help that. However, what also plummeted was not just the impact a one-point game would have on Anthony Davis's scoring average as he makes his case to be an all-NBA first-team player and perhaps an MVP, depending on what the Lakers can do from here. I think that's a little bit optimistic, being that they still are not even in the playoff picture as it stands now. However, I believe coming into tonight, the Lakers, who sat in 12th, were just two games out of sixth. It's not much separation in the Western Conference. It wasn't just Anthony Davis that had led this incredible Lakers turnaround. After a 2-10 and ten start, the Lakers, one of the hottest teams in the league, tied for the hottest team in the league over the last 10 games, as they had won 8 of the last 10, now 8 of the last 11. Boom. Their hot shooting, their blistering hot shooting from three-point land over the last 10 games, left the game even before Anthony Davis did tonight. It was never there. 6 for 36 from range. 17% on three-point shots. And that includes such woeful performances as an 0 for 4 clunker from Austin Reeves, 1 for 6 from Dennis Schroeder, 1 for 5 from Pat Bev, 0 for 5 from Lonnie Walker. Now, just to put that in context, coming into tonight, over the last 10 games, LeBron James, Lonnie Walker, Austin Reeves, they have been shooting 47% from three-point land. Not tonight. Anthony Davis, 46% from three-point land. A man who most people have been screaming at to get in the goddamn post over the course of the past few seasons as he's settled for long two-pointers and bad three-point looks and has seen his percentages plummet. However, this year, renaissance man, doing everything for the Lakers to dig them out of the early hole that they dug themselves and certainly had a lot of the people buying in, had me buying in. Tonight, though, the flu or uh, or some of that Cleveland tap water in the locker room after you witnessed what Jared Allen did to your team in the first quarter, that was all she wrote. Whatever the reason prevented him from being able to have any real lasting impact on the game and the Lakers, try as they might, hang in as they might at halftime, they were still hanging around in this game. It was 57-49 at half. The Cavaliers led by just eight points. And that lead was even cut further as they led by just two points going into the fourth quarter. But the fact that they won this game going away, the fourth quarter looked much like the third quarter of the first matchup with the Lakers. And the Cavaliers at the end of the night got enough from their backcourt in the second half that we didn't need much else besides Donovan Mitchell to decide that the disrespect had gone far enough from Russell Westbrook. And a team that struggled to get to the line made up for it by incredible 
ball control. Turnovers have certainly been a bugaboo for the Cleveland Cavaliers this season. Yes, I use that word. I don't know why. I'm in a great mood. I'm just firing shit off. But between the two backcourt guards for the Cleveland Cavaliers, just three turnovers collectively. Two from Mitchell, one from Garland. And despite only going to the line nine times, being outshot at the line, 24 attempts for the Lakers, to 17 for the Cavaliers, Mitchell could not be stopped driving to the rim, getting past his defender. Did not matter who they put on him. Pat Bev can't stop him. Russell Westbrook can't stop him. Austin Reeves can't stop him. And without Anthony Davis near the rim, this Lakers team was the Titanic. Yes, it stayed afloat for a while, but ultimately everybody died. And I know what you're saying. Hundreds of people survived in the Titanic, but nobody gives a shit about those people. Okay, let's not dwell on the details. This is a podcast about basketball, not history. The only history that you need to remember is the Cavaliers are 2-0 and against the Lakers this season. But speaking of the Titanic, you know what would have plugged that hole up pretty well? Donovan Mitchell's gigantic balls. Am I right? The Lakers had a very difficult time stopping the Cavaliers at all on the interior. 70 points of the 116 that the Cavaliers scored were in the paint. That is an absurd number. So the Cavaliers run their record up to 11-1. and And in the standings, that's important because as I stated toward the ends of last week when I was doing these podcasts, the Cavaliers' schedule is very favorable as we go along here. But it's not nothing that the Cavaliers keep piling up these home victories. I think you have to like the Cavs' chances against the Kings team. That has cooled off considerably from the incredible run that they have strung together. They are one of the feel-good stories of the NBA season and currently sit in fifth. They have perhaps my favorite sixth man of the year candidate in an area in which the Cavs do not excel, which is bench scoring. The Sacramento Kings have one of the league's best in Malik Monk, who over the last 10 games is averaging north of 18 points a game. A bargain signing by the Sacramento Kings and another guy jettisoned by the Lakers who would have helped them immensely. Over his last six games, and know when I do this that that usually means he had a monster game six games ago, so that's why I start the counting. Over his last six games, Malik Monk is averaging 20 points a game on 57% from the floor, 40% from three. Just a phenom off the bench. He's got a 30-point game in there. He's got three games where he shot north of 65% on a team that has a much more well-rounded and efficient starting lineup. And it's nice to see Mike Brown succeeding in some of these guys who have regularly been overlooked. Malik Monk, who suffered in obscurity in Charlotte. Kevin Herter, who suffered in obscurity in Atlanta before they got good and then was cast off when they brought in DeJounte Murray. They're having struggles of their own. We'll touch on that in a bit. But a team that's certainly likable. However, I like them slightly less after they beat us last time. So I am hoping for a season split. It's not a sure thing of a win. They've won their last three after going on a bit of a skid. But don't let the skid fool you because they lost three in a row to some of the best teams in the league in the Phoenix Suns, the Boston Celtics, and the Atlanta Hawks, who I wouldn't put amongst the best teams in the league. But they're certainly one of the more respectable ones in the Eastern Conference. I'm putting them significantly below us because they have a terrible attitude, Trey Young, bringing that whole ship down. Again, later. Keep it on point. At the time of this pod, the Kings are sixth in that rating. A very good offense, fourth overall, a mediocre defense, somewhere around 18. The Cavs, fourth overall, and the best defense in the NBA, right at this point. Slightly ahead of the Milwaukee Bucks because of them fourth quarter clamps. The separation 
between the fifth-place Kings and the first-place Suns is just two games as it stands now. The Western Conference is truly a cluster F. The 16-8 and Suns as the one seed, the 10-13 and Lakers as the 13 seed, is less than six-game separation between being the third team out of the playoff play-in picture and being the leader in the Western Conference. Meanwhile, in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics continue to pour it on. Eight of their last 10, 20 and five, they've created some separation. We are four games back on them. However, two games back on the Bucks, And it is conceivable that the Cavaliers could run them down because following the Kings game, they get the Thunder at home, they get the Spurs on the road, and the Spurs are abject failures objectively horrible i don't i started to say abject i kind of combined it with objectively but here's the relevant point 11 losses in a row for the san antonio spurs who sit at just 6 and 18 if there was no such thing as a lottery if the nba handed out the top prospect based on pity i think it's safe to say the spurs would get victor Wembanyama. but greg popovich is just riding out a terrible nba death and eventually he'll step aside and somebody else will come in and champion this Titanic, which is also sinking. Double Titanic reference. Where do you get that? Is there another Cavs podcast that compares two teams to the Titanic in the same episode? I don't think so. Like and subscribe. So after the Spurs, we'll get to see Luca on the road. We'll get to host the upstart Pacers after a night where Nemhar dropped 31 with Tyrese Halliburton out. And yes, that marks another man who shares the same last name as a much better version. They're not related. But I wish R.J. Nemhard was Andrew Nemhard. I wish Robin Lopez was Brooke Lopez. We even collected the worst Mobley, although he's been tearing it up in the G League. So who knows what his future holds? With the Cavs' knack for developmental guys in Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade, you can hold out hope that Isaiah Mobley eventually is able to spell some of those minutes at the five when Evan Mobley is given several egregious fouls that I don't think he deserves. But that's for neither here nor there. The worst thing you can do as a podcaster is complain about the officiating in a win. So when Jared Allen eviscerates the Lakers in the first quarter but takes an elbow from LeBron's off arm in the face that goes uncalled as an offensive foul, you let it go. It seems that a lot of teams missed on Nemhard, who went 31st in this past draft and looks to be part of a trio of Indiana Pacers backcourt guards who are young, who are incredible. Tyrese Halliburton, who we could have had over at Coro. Nemhard, who maybe we could have bought that second round pick for a marginal cost. And of course, Benedict Matherin, who is neck and neck in the rookie of the year race with Paolo Bancaro, who I expect to pull away now that he's healthy, but still. An incredible find by the Pacers. Now, while I'm on the subject of the Pacers' backcourt, I want to pose a hypothetical to you because there has been a lot of discussion about Tyrese Halliburton, and it's warranted. He is having a breakout season, an almost certain all-star player in the Eastern Conference, averaging 19 points a game, leading the league in assists at 11 assists per game, nearly five rebounds per game, and doing it on incredible efficiency, 47-40 splits. 85% from the line, roughly 84. So this is not a man who's just putting up numbers on a garbage team. He is leading a team. Everybody thought would suck. They are presently in the upper end of the Eastern Conference, trailing just the Atlanta Hawks and then the Cavaliers. They are right behind there. So the idea that the Pacers would blow it up, trade Buddy Heald, trade Miles Turner, well, right now, They're ahead of the Brooklyn Nets, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Toronto Raptors, the Miami Heat, all teams expected to be far better than them. So Tyrese Halliburton, it makes you 
question even more the pick that we committed to Isaac Okoro. It's very easy in hindsight to say, why didn't we take this guy? All these squads passed on Tyrese Halliburton. The Warriors took Wiseman. The Hornets probably would take Halliburton over LaMelo. The Bulls certainly regret Patrick Williams. The Cavs regret Okoro. The Pistons regret Killian Hayes. All those teams screwed the pooch. Not to get off track, but I have used that phrase indiscriminately for years. I never really thought about it. It just came out of my mouth. But then I pause for a second to think, does screw the pooch mean what I think it does? I mean, colloquially, it means to make a huge mistake. And I think we can all agree having sex with a dog is a huge mistake. So I looked it up and it was in fact popularized in a book called The Right Stuff published in 1979, Tom Wolfe. Now he wasn't literally using it in the book to describe having sex with a dog. It was again used in reference to the space program, but in a way that was essentially contextually meaning to make an embarrassing mistake, which again, I think we can all agree, having sex with a dog falls into that category. Find me another Cavalier podcast that can go from Titanic, double Titanic references to casual conversation about sex with a canine. Like and subscribe. Please leave a review. So yeah, this is going to be a rough segue, but let's get back to this hypothetical scenario where the Cavaliers end up with Tyrese Halliburton. Here goes. And I want you to reach out to me with what your answer would be, either at bob at fropod.com. Bob at fropod.com is the email, or at fearthefropod on Twitter. Feel free to message me there too, because I am genuinely curious how you would feel about this. And I will tell you how I feel after I lay out the hypothetical. Here's the hypothetical We struck gold in 2021 when we vaulted up the lottery to land the third pick, which brought us Evan Mobley. We all know what he is and what he projects to be. I believe many people feel all-star games, multiple all-star games are in his future if his progression continues. And then you have Tyrese Halliburton. I've heard a lot of talk comparing him to the impact level of Adarius Garland already. The breakout season we got from Garland last year where he made his first all-star game, we're seeing that now in Tyrese Halliburton. Now in this hypothetical, we're redoing 2020. Instead of Isaac Okoro, the Cavs go into that draft, and they're looking for a guard to complement their backcourt, a smallish backcourt, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. And they say, okay, we're going to take the 6'5 Halliburton. He can play on ball. He can play off ball. But in order to redo this version of history, you have to sacrifice the results of the 2021 NBA lottery. And instead of winning the lottery, or you didn't win it, but you vaulted in position to the third pick. Instead of that, you stay back in the later lottery, somewhere between six and eight. You don't know who that'll land you. It could land you a Kuminga. It could land you a Franz Wagner. Now, in this hypothetical, you get Halliburton, but you don't get Mobley. You just get somebody else in the mid to late lotto, and that is what you're giving up. So who knows what happens with the Cavs from there? You would have Sexton. You'd have Garland. You'd have Halliburton. You'd no longer have Mobley, but you'd have all those picks back. You'd have Lowry Markinen. Maybe you do a different trade. And instead of going all in on a Donovan Mitchell, you go all in on a front court player who can play alongside Jared Allen, and you have a little bit different of a makeup. So now, instead of the core that we have, you end up with a Halliburton, a Franz Wagner, a Jared Allen, and somebody that you acquire with all the draft capital 
and Colin Sexton and maybe Lowry Markinen is your starting power forward at this point. Which would be your preference? And I think I might even lean the Halliburton scenario. As much as a Cavs homer as I am, and as much as I love Evan Mobley, there is an intrigue to the idea that they could have a backcourt of Halliburton and Garland alongside, say, a Franz Wagner and a Jared Allen, and then all that draft capital to go all in on a young power forward option. I don't know who that would be. I'd have to think about different scenarios. Who's young? Who's potentially movable in that situation? But certainly, it's an intriguing idea. In this hypothetical, I picked a terrible night to present it because Donovan Mitchell just showed what Donovan Mitchell does. And perhaps now is not the time that you fret about losing any of those draft picks or even give a second thought to Tyrese Halliburton because the Cavaliers are showing they have one of the best guard duos, perhaps in the history of the franchise and definitely one of the best in the league. And I've heard a lot of people bounce around the idea of which backcourt's better, the Hawks or the Pacers or the Cavaliers. I don't think it's even a question right now that it's obviously the Cavaliers. Then I would go the Pacers. I take their youth and their development. And the reason that it's easy to put the Hawks in third is because of what's transpired in the last few days. They have two excellent backcourt players and DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. But over the course of the weekend, a story emerged where Trey Young, dealing with some soreness in his shoulder, was asked by head coach Nate McMillan on Friday to attend the morning shoot-around, after which point he would be able to go and get the treatment on the sore shoulder. Trey Young said, no, I'm going to do this treatment on my shoulder now. So Nate McMillan gave him an ultimatum and said, listen, either you attend the shoot-around or you're coming off the bench. So Nate McMillan told him after he said that he wanted to play following his treatment that, well, you're either going to come off the bench or just skip this game because you weren't at shoot-around. And Trey Young took the latter of those two options and just skipped the game. This isn't something that reflects well on his leadership or his respect for his head coach. Trey Young has already gotten one head coach fired. Lloyd Pierce was pushed out in large part because of his inability to coexist with Trey Young. And Nate McMillan, despite the fact that he's a respected coach, he's definitely not untouchable. Not when you just extended Trey Young. In the power dynamic that is the NBA star player system, you just re-inked Trey Young. If he can't get along with the coach, the coach is the one losing his job. It's not about who's right and wrong. It's about how much is invested in each position. So that brings us to his return to the court and the questions that he, of course, faced from reporters regarding how he handled the situation. And Trey Young opened up with what is becoming the classic tactic of Kyrie. Jalen Brown, LeBron James, to put the microscope on the media. So this is how he began his, I don't know if you want to call it an apology. It's more of a non-explanation explanation, but here it is. I mean, it was just a, a situation. I mean, we're all grown men here, and there's sometimes we don't always agree. And um, I mean, it's unfortunate that private, private situations and private conversations get out to the public, but I guess that's what, uh, where we live in now. But, uh, I mean, I'm just, I'll just focus on basketball and focus on helping my team win. And that's what I got to get to refocus it on. So he just said a bunch of nothing about, well, I'm going to just focus on basketball. We're going to move forward. But he made sure to get in the, I don't know how it got out there, as if the media did something wrong in reporting what was an egregiously mishandled situation on his part. He then got into it with a reporter who pressed him. Here's that audio. But what's public was that you not at the game. So why weren't you there? 
Man, it's not you. It's not you at me, bro. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, you're leader of this team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for people who don't know the full situation to to understand it. So, I mean, it's like I said, it's a private matter again. It made public, which is unfortunate. Um, And if it was stayed private, it probably wouldn't have been as big of a deal. But uh, like I said, it's unfortunate. My my job and my goal is to to win a championship, and that's all I focus on. But you can see the perception looks right. You are a leader of this team, and when you're not there, yeah. But when you when you when you're an outside guy like you are, you don't understand in a private matter, in a private situation. Uh, you should probably stay on the outside. Like I said, it's unfortunate that everybody has to understand and, and know a little bit of the details that went on inside. But, um, I mean, inside here, we're all good. And uh, I mean, if you got any more questions about that, then you can you can talk to somebody else about it. That's all I got to say about it. You agree it's not, it's not a good visual, though, that you weren't on No, not everybody understands the situation, now. I don't necessarily disagree on the, the choice that I made. That is a tough balance to strike, both offering no explanation, not sounding remorseful, but also trying to put the spotlight on the media for why, how did they get this information. That is irrelevant. I don't think a single fan cares how they got that information. They care why a disagreement over when you would get treatment turned into you willingly taking yourself out of a game for a team that's trying to win. Why you would choose to skip a game altogether rather than play off the bench. That is what people want an explanation for. And just like Kyrie and just like Jalen Brown and just like LeBron James, this put the spotlight on the media and what's their intentions and all this tactic, it's wearing thin. Honestly, it was disgusting when Kyrie did it. It was annoying when Jalen Brown did it with the, well, what about what Joe Psy did? And even when LeBron did it, for as much as I love LeBron's game, the way that he handled that whole Well, you didn't ask me about Jerry Jones. I'm disappointed in you. Bring up whatever you want, LeBron. Stop putting it on the media to carry water for you, though. And you don't feel that way. A lot of players don't feel that way. They don't feel beholden to the media. They don't feel beholden to the public. They don't feel the the need to be held accountable for anything they do. In this scenario, this isn't even an off-the-court subject. This is directly about why did you choose to sit out a game against a great team and he was just evasive. And the way that he tried to put it on the reporter, I respect the reporter for, yes, it did sound a bit harsh how he came at him, but this is the way things go. If you don't answer the questions, if your statement is a bunch of PR bullshit, people are going to keep asking until you provide an answer. And that's the thing even LeBron didn't get in that whole, why didn't you ask me about Jerry Jones? There was a difference in the Jerry Jones and the Kyrie situation beyond just the fact that the picture was, you know, decades old. The reason the coverage escalated to the point that it did with Kyrie is because he refused to offer any accountability for what he did, and he definitely refused to offer any remorse. Multiple times he refused to apologize. He accused the media of dehumanizing him. He took that approach of, I'm not going to answer your questions. I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to turn the microscope on you. And LeBron, in bringing up Jerry Jones, why didn't you ask me about him? Well, Multiple common sense reasons, like you weren't a teammate of Jerry Jones. It's not even the same sport. But more importantly, Jerry Jones, people who are like, I want to hear him denounce racism. Does anyone think Jerry Jones wouldn't? Jerry Jones would never take that tactic that Kyrie took because it would be suicide for a person in his position. He, of course, would show remorse because that's what you should do when you did something regrettable. But that's the tactic that not Kyrie, not Jalen. And not Trey Young here as willing to take. Because God forbid you humble yourself for one second. 
and look at a situation and step back and say, you know what? Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. I made two Titanic references in this same podcast, but I can acknowledge that's because I'm dumb and I don't know any other ships except for the Lusitania. And I don't really know the details of that. That's vague as hell. So I just avoided it altogether. My history is suspect. I do know a little bit about the USS Midway because I watched that movie a bunch of times. I enjoyed it. But that's neither here nor there. What I'm saying is Darius Garland is better than Trey Young. And I want you to file this away as evidence for later when that discussion comes up. Any ammo that discredits him lifts Darius Garland. Sinking Trey Young boat, Titanic, if you will, raises the tide that uh, holds the Darius Garland boat. And there you go. We've come full circle. Thank you for listening to the Fear the Fro podcast. Sacramento Kings coming up. The Oklahoma City Thunder coming up. Another point guard, which we passed on for Colin Sexton and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who reportedly didn't want to come here. So that's a whole another can of worms, which you definitely aren't going to have sex with. So rate the podcast, listen to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, and we'll be back with more. Fear the Fro. I'm Bob Schmidt, lifelong Cleveland Cavalier fan, voice of Fox Sports Radio. Probably they don't want to be associated with me after a conversation about dog sex, but that's where we're at. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.